Hello everyone, my name is Charlie and I am the campus pastor at First Methodist Church Amarillo. I wanna say welcome to you and thank you for joining our online campus today. I'm really excited that you're joining us. We're, we're wrapping up our, our series on pressure. And so I want us to just jump right into it. We're gonna be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I encourage you each week to bring your Bible with you, bring a pen so you can highlight and underline anything that might stand out to you. And if something stands out to you, if the Lord says something to you that we don't even talk about, please share that with us in the comments. Share it with us through our website. We want to hear from you. Again, as I've said throughout this series, we do not want this to be a one-way conversation. We want this to be a dialogue. That's what we love about this online campus environment. Okay, enough of that. Let's get into the scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So like I said, today is week four and the final week of our series on pressure. So with it being the last week, I want to take just a moment to go back and review everything that we've talked about throughout the last four weeks. I want to remind you that in week one, we said that in the hands of God, pressure can be a gift. Now that's difficult for us because we tend to avoid pressure. We tend to not like pressure. So that's why we said in week one, you have to feel it to reveal it. If you want that gift that pressure can bring in the hands of God, you have to be willing to feel that pressure as well. And then week two was probably my favorite in the whole series. We watched Jesus navigate a season of pressure. We watched Jesus, despite having so many people demanding his time or criticizing his decisions, he walked through pressure with patience. He didn't try to manipulate. He tried, didn't try to rush. He patiently walked through pressure and then was intentional about getting rest and relaxation at the end of that season. We also talked in week two about pressure-induced tunnel vision. You might remember we talked about the disciples on the boat when the storm came and Jesus was asleep uh, in, in the bottom of the boat and how that pressure caused them to forget that they had a man with them that they believed was the son of God. They had a man who had healed the sick and cast out demons and confronted the Pharisees that pressure caused them to forget that. They lost their peripheral vision. And so I shared with you three questions that I thought would be really helpful to help us avoid pressure-induced tunnel vision or hopefully reduce that tunnel vision. So those questions were, am I resting? Are you getting that rest, that relaxation? Are you getting good sleep? Are you eating well? That's question one. Question two, am I breathing? We talked about how when we get stressed, when we feel that pressure, the amygdala part of our brain kicks in and we go into fight or flight. And when we're in that fight or flight mode, we begin to take shallow, quick breaths, which kind of puts us in a panic state and makes, us makes it difficult for us to see the whole picture. And so we talked about you need to be taking those deep, patterned, intentional breaths when you feel that pressure. A deep breath in through the nose, hold it for a second or two, and then breathe out through your mouth. The last question that we talked about was, am I seeing the whole picture? 
Now that one is really difficult to answer because sometimes it's hard to know if you're experiencing tunnel vision. And that's why I shared that the, all of these questions, but particularly question three, are great to talk about within a group of people. Are you in a group? Are you surrounded by some people that you trust that you can say, hey, when I go through pressure, will you help make sure that I don't have tunnel vision? Will you help me remember that God is with me and I can rest in his authority? And then last week was an interesting week because we talked about the pressure of perfection and how perfection is something that God, Jesus, actually commanded us in Matthew 5 to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. And so we compared the perfection that the world tries to force us into, tries to conform us, and the kind of pressure that, that the kind of perfection that God calls us to, that if we will submit to that calling, will actually transform us. Now, now we've arrived at week four. We arrived at week four in the series that we're calling Pressure. And, and I have to tell you, while preparing this sermon, I experienced a real, you have to feel it to reveal it situation. I want you to imagine that you've been working on a series called Pressure for the last three weeks, and it's the Monday before the last Sunday of that series. So you're doing your normal thing. You're at a great coffee shop. You're enjoying coffee. You're writing the sermon, and you come across this fantastic quote about pressure, and you know you got to use it in the sermon. So rather than just hand typing it, you want to Google it so you can copy and paste, right? Right. I'm glad we agree on that. So I Google this quote, I find it, I see the link to the website it's on, and I click on that link, my whole computer locks up. It had somehow encountered a virus and was completely unusable for the rest of the day. Monday, when I typically am writing sermons, I lost use of my laptop. I have to tell you, I really felt the pressure when I was trying to type a sermon. I was out of my comfort zone and I'm typing this sermon on this teeny tiny iPad that I have. And even at one point I had to contact our lead pastor Rick Enns to borrow his computer so I could look up a reference. So I felt the pressure. Once you know that we as pastors, we feel the pressure too. But I was also gifted with a great intro to this sermon. So it's true. You have to feel it to reveal it. And so I, I am excited. We I did persevere. We did get the sermon written. I'm glad for what we're going to be talking about today. And like I said, we're going to be talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Now, if this scripture had a theme, if I had to pick a one-word theme for this little section of scripture, it would be contrast. Because I see contrast, two clear contrasts in these two sentences, in these two verses. We see a contrast between light and darkness, and we also see a contrast between treasure and jars of clay. Paul is using contrast as a tool. He's, he's trying to remind the Corinthians, his audience, his original audience, and he's also trying to remind you and me with the tool of contrast that God and us are different. God is light, and his gospel is a treasure. We were called out of darkness and our bodies are as fragile as jars of clay. They're, we come from the dust and we're made from the dust and we're fragile just like a clay jar. Now this contrast is really important 
because this contrast kind of forces us to acknowledge, honestly, one of the reasons we tend to avoid pressure situations. We, we avoid pressure because a lot of times it reveals our weakness. When that pressure comes on us, we don't handle it well. We do something we know we shouldn't do, or we say something that, that we regret. Pressure, it kind of exposes our weakness and it exposes this idea we have that, that we think we should, we should be better than we are. We, we think it kind of exposes this idea that we don't have the strengths that we think we should. I wanna give you a couple examples of, of how this plays out. I want you to think about you're at the grocery store, you're a parent, and your child is having one of those days, one of those, those tantrum days where they're just not having it. And so you're sitting there and your child is having that tantrum and you can literally feel the pressure of all the other customers looking on that situation and looking and seeing how you handle it. When you feel that pressure, it can kind of make you feel exposed. It can kind of feel like that, that one situation confirms to the world and even confirms to you that, that you're not a good parent. Because if you were a good parent, your kid wouldn't act that way. That's what I'm talking about, this contrast of, of pressure, that, that pressure can reveal our weakness and cause us to have self-doubt, cause us to have hesitancies. Uh, another example might be maybe there's been a time in your life that you're looking for a job and you go out and you do the searching on the internet and you fill out the applications and submit your resume and you go to the interview and after all of that, you don't get offered the position. So that can put pressure on us. That can cause us to begin to think, well, maybe, maybe no one really likes me. Maybe I just don't have anything that's worthwhile to offer. It can th this whole pressure and the exposure of weakness can be as innocent as you really feeling the pressure to be a good friend, to be there for your family and your friends and those around you. And it only takes one moment of pressure where you forget a promise that you make or you fail to follow through on a commitment that you had. And when that pressure comes on, it can cause you very quickly to feel like, man, I'm just the, I'm the worst friend or the worst person in the world. Scenarios like these can really tempt us in two, in two ways. Scenarios like these can tempt us to just avoid pressure altogether. We might say to ourselves, hey, that's way too painful. That's too uncomfortable. It exposes my weakness. I'm just going to avoid it. Or, Many times we fall in the trap of trying to hide our weakness by pursuing a worldly form of perfection. We talked about that last week, that, that kind of perfection pressure that says you've got to conform. You've got to look and think and spend and speak like the world around you. You have to sh be shaped like us. We can try to hide our weaknesses by pursuing that kind of worldly perfection. I have to tell you that Neither of those are advice that Paul would give us. Paul, the author of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul would encourage us, he would encourage you and he would encourage me, hey, acknowledge your weaknesses. Acknowledge that they're there. Now notice I said acknowledge and not accept. I don't think Paul, and certainly I wouldn't encourage you just to say, hey, I'm going to accept my weaknesses. They are what they are. I'm going to be okay with them. I'm going to embrace them. No, that's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm also not saying hide from them or pretend like they're not there. Let's acknowledge them and be honest about it. Admit that they exist. And here's why Paul would encourage that. 
Because Paul knows that while pressure exposes our weaknesses, it also exposes the Lord's strength. Let me go back to 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and remind you what Paul said. He said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. So pressure exposes our weakness, but it also exposes the Lord's strength. Paul would even advise us to acknowledge or even boast, boast about the fact that we have weaknesses. Later on in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, I think we have to be willing to admit, we have to be willing to acknowledge that, that we are clay vessels. Rather than running from pressure or hiding, behind, hiding from the truth by pursuing a worldly sense of perfection, we should really find comfort in the fact that despite our fragileness, despite our, our fragileness spiritually and our fragileness physically, Christ still works in and through us. Christ's light still shines. The treasure of the gospel is still placed in jars of clay. Our weakness can be a testimony to the Lord's strength. Let me go back and remind you again, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, so that it may be clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, I, I, as I prepare for sermons, many times I'm reading commentaries, and I really loved how the James Fawcett Brown commentary described this section of Scripture. Listen to these words. They're, they're actually fairly convicting, but also really hopeful. So listen to this. The Lord more needs our weakness than our strength. Our strength is often his rival. Our weakness, his servant. Drawing on his resources and showing forth his glory. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's security, Satan's opportunity. God's way is not to take his children out of, but to give them strength to bear up against trials. Pressure exposes our weaknesses, but it also exposes the Lord's strength. Now is, the time, now is the time for me to share with you the quote that killed my computer. This is a fantastic quote. I have to tell you, I personally think it was worth it going through a day without my laptop. This, this quote comes from piano craftsman Theodore Steinway. He says this, It is the 40,000 pounds of pressure exerted on the 245 strings of a piano that creates beautiful harmony. See, when our weakness operates in harmony with God's strength, a beautiful testimony is created. When we're willing to acknowledge our weakness, allow it to humble us, 
And then in that humility, invite the Lord's strength to operate through us a beautiful testimony is created. Let me give you one example. This example is about a man named Dan Crawford. Dan Crawford was a, was a missionary to Africa, specifically the Congo region. The African people actually gave him the name Conga Bantu, which means the gatherer of people. Crawford himself would eventually give his life serving the people of Africa. And specifically, he, he loved the, the Luba people. But before his passing in 1926, he gave a description of a fellow missionary. He described how he viewed another man serving alongside him in Africa. These are his words. A white, fragile-looking traveler with a Paulian gleam in his eye. Have come to pay my debt, said he, with a winning smile. And there you have the whole story in two words. That white fever face trying, that, that white fever, that illness, trying but failing to kill that glad smile. This holy man, if you please, had drunk so deeply of God's wine of joy that it kept him going at high pressure right on to the end. The new wine, in fact, was busily at work breaking up his old bottle of a body so the fragrant saint dies at his post. He had only died in glory. He had only died in glory as stars die at sunrise. See, both Dan Crawford and the man that he described were clearly aware of their weaknesses. They were clearly aware of the fact that they could not control the danger around them there in Africa. They could not control whether their bodies were attacked and eventually consumed by disease. And yet they moved forward. Yet they were still faithful and trusted in the Lord's strength. And because of that, both men, even today as I'm talking to you, are a testimony. Their lives are a testimony of the power of the gospel at work. Paul tells us later in 2 Corinthians, this is in verse 16 through 18, so we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary affliction is preparing, for an, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. When looking at these two men's lives, Dan Crawford and the fellow missionary that he describes, we get a literal depiction of treasure hidden in jars of clay. For these men, it wasn't about going out and conquering Africa in their own strength and with their own endurance. For them, their lives depicted that it was truly about Christ working through them despite their weaknesses. And I have to tell you, I have to tell all of you listening and, and remind myself that we too are called to live such lives that bring harmony between our weaknesses and the Lord's strength. But that's gonna require us to acknowledge our weaknesses.
That's the hard part. It's going to require us to acknowledge, yes, I'm weak in that area. Yes, I have room to grow in that area. Yes, I failed in doing what I said I was going to do or accomplishing what I set out to accomplish. We have to admit that if we want to see the Lord's strength work through us. So the question is how? How do we harmonize our weaknesses and God's strength? How do we live lives that are a testimony to God's power? Well, thankfully, Paul has an answer for us. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. In other words, let me, let me paraphrase what Paul was saying there. If you want your weakness to be a testimony, you have to die to your dependence on your own strength. You have to remember, you have to intentionally remind yourself that you were powerless. You were powerless. And when you needed rescue, Christ came and saved you. When you were powerless and unable to save yourself, Christ came as your Savior. And that is a beautiful thing, but we so easily forget that. So we need to be intentional about continually reminding ourselves that we need Jesus. We have to crucify this temptation that we can do it on our own or that we have enough strength to handle this situation. We have to crucify that and remind ourselves that we still need a Savior today and every day, just like we did that first moment that we came to know Christ as our Savior. And so I want to encourage you today to take a next step. And it's going to require some honesty. It's going to require some faith. It might make you a little uncomfortable. But I want to encourage you today, as soon as this video ends, as soon as you, you hit stop, I want you to grab a piece of paper. And I want you to write down one, two, three of your weaknesses. What are your weaknesses? Where, what area of your life do you feel weak? Is it anger? Is it eating? Controlling what you consume? Is it how you manage your time? Is it motivation? Is it faith? I want you to write that down. And then I want you to spend some time in prayer and I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, how can your power be made perfect and my weakness. Because that's what Paul said, remember? He said he boasts about his weakness because for when he is weak, Christ is strong. When he is weak, Christ's power, Christ's strength rests on him. But it started with him boasting and acknowledging his weaknesses and inviting the Lord's strength to live and operate through them. I also encourage you, this is a great exercise to, to do with your, with your grow group or your Sunday school class, 
gather together with a group of people and say, hey, let's all be honest. Let's all be vulnerable about our weaknesses and see how the Lord's strength might bubble up through that conversation. You never know how your moment of weakness and vulnerability might translate into encouragement and something that strengthens the resolve of the person sitting next to you or across from you at a small group. But it starts with our vulnerability. It starts with us acknowledging our weaknesses. It starts with trying to bring harmony between our weakness and the Lord's strength. Well, I hope this word blesses you. I hope it encourages you. And I hope you do take this opportunity to admit your weakness so that the Lord's strength, Christ's strength, might rest on you. I hope you have a great day and you're blessed.